Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. All right, so let's dive in. Uh, so, uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about spiritual warfare and strongholds today. Uh, and, and go figure today from the moment I got up, there was like one thing after another. I went out to start my car. My car battery was dead. Uh, so when I went in, I quickly figured out, okay, I'm gonna take my wife's car. I got her car, uh, and, and, uh, got in the car, drove to my office, realized I left my keys at home for the office. So I had to go back to back home to get my keys for the office, went back in, did a couple things, prep, printed out my notes, got halfway here, realized I left my notes at the office. So I do have an iPad. It's okay. The notes were more for the team to be able to follow along, but I was like, all right, God, I see what's going on here. And we're just not going to give into it. We're just going to do what you want to do today. Uh, so it is that time of year. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but it's that time of year uh, right around this end of October where it seems like everybody around us kind of takes an interest in spiritual things. Like there's a high interest in kind of a recognition that there's something spiritual going on. So next week, you'll see lots of people dressed up like different kinds of spiritual things. You'll see devils and demons, maybe a couple angels sprinkled. Why is it that we do the demon and devil thing and not angels for Halloween? Anyway, uh, so you'll, you'll see all kinds of things. You'll see ghosts and you'll see all this kind of stuff. And there's this heightened awareness around this time uh, of the year around like this like spiritual stuff, even though as a society, it seems as though what, what most people would say is that we don't believe in that stuff. Don't you think that's funny? That, that as a society, it seems like most people are becoming less and less aware of kind of there being a spiritual realm, yet there tends to be a growing obsession with all these spiritual things. So just for example, uh, last year, uh, horror movies, of which this is like kind of demonic stuff and spiritual stuff is a huge part, represented 18% of all movies made last year. It's massive, and that number has been exponentially growing over the last 20 years. You can follow this trend. So even though it seems like we're less interested in spiritual things, the case, the, the truth of the matter is everyone around you is actually more interested in spiritual things. So maybe not everyone believes it, but everyone has, and our culture has this kind of obsession. So even myself, as a kid, one of my favorite movies was this movie called Prophecy. And it was about these fallen angels warring with the good angels over the salvation of humanity. Anyone else or am I the only person in this room that ever watched that movie? So it was like a whole series. I just thought it was like the most fascinating thing watching kind of, oh, this is what it could be really be like. Well, it's not in any way like that. But I, as a kid, it was like, I just thought it was so cool. The reality is that every culture, everywhere, doesn't matter where you are, in all times through all of human history, has had this sense that there is a spiritual world, that there's something that we can't see that somehow influences what's happening here on earth. And, and maybe that's because it's true. <laughs> like maybe it's true because in all cultures, through all of human history, there has been this growing sense that there's something spiritual because it's true that there is something spiritual, that we're more than what we see, that we're, as human beings, are more than flesh and bone, and that what's influencing what's going on around us is often more than what we just see with our own eyes. And so I would say it's true that that's true, and actually, that's the biblical worldview, 
I think, that we should embrace. So are you okay if we do just a little bit of theology before we get practical? Okay, we're going to do that. All right. So it's not, if it's not okay, it's too bad. I'm going to do it anyway. So, so, so here's, here's how I like to think about this. First of all, I think what the Bible would say is that we are spiritual beings in a spiritual world with an important role for us to play. Spiritual beings in a spiritual world with an important role for us to play. So let's look at kind of our origin story in Genesis. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and we're going to be hopping around a little bit today. Verse 26, here's what it says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Here's the first thing I want us to see. That God, who is spirit, who is himself a spiritual being, speaks to the host of heaven. He says, let us make mankind in our image. So scholars seem to be kind of on the same page now, for the most part, that what God is doing is speaking to the host of heaven, these spiritual beings that are in heaven with God, other created beings, but spiritual beings nonetheless. And he's speaking to them saying, hey, Let's make these creatures that we're about to make, let's make them like us. Let's make them primarily spiritual beings. By the way, a great resource if you want to dig into this topic, the Bible Project. If you're not familiar with the Bible Project, they have these great YouTube uh, videos and great podcasts. They will be really, really helpful for unpacking some of this stuff. So I encourage you to go and check that out. So, so here's God, a spiritual being, saying, hey, let's make these creatures, these created beings, just like us in our image. So then what God does is he actually makes us human beings with flesh and bone. And so we are physical beings. We are embodied creatures. Uh, But one of the things that sets us apart from the rest of creation is he breathes his breath of life into us and makes us spiritually alive in a way that nothing else in creation is. And that's part of what it means for us to be image bearers of God. For us to bear the image of God means there's something in us that's like him. And I would say, I think it's primarily that spiritual side of us that makes us like God. And so here we are, these embodied spiritual beings walking on earth, and we have a specific purpose, God says. Here's what I want these image bearers, these spiritual beings, just like me, to do on earth. And what is that purpose? He says specifically to rule over creation, to be God's royal representatives here on earth, to take care of his creation, to harness the goodness that's in it, to make him even more known in all of creation, to rule over creation. We are his royal representatives here on earth to bring about that goodness in creation. However, if you're familiar with the story in Genesis, it doesn't go very well. So just two chapters later, we won't read this, but just as a way of reminder, in Genesis chapter 3, we meet another created being, the serpent, who comes along and is clearly something physical and, and created, but also is clearly something more than that. There's clearly something spiritual behind what the serpent does. And this serpent has a different, this spiritual being has a different agenda than what God has and what the human beings has. His agenda, right clearly from the start, is to bring conflict between God and his creation, to put this kind of separation somehow between God and his creation. And so he comes along and he tempts Eve and tempts Adam, and they fall for the bait. They eat the fruit of the tree, listening to the lies and the twisting kind of words 
of this ancient serpent that's speaking these things. And so what happens is we fall into sin. You guys know kind of if you've been around the church world, you understand the story a little bit. We, we fall into sin and what happens is we forfeit our ability to have authority to rule over God's creation the way we were supposed to. It's like we, God gave us the keys to the kingdom and we kind of said, no, nah, no, thank you. So God says, I'll take those back, please. You're not, you're, not, you're not willing to have that. You're not deserving of it. And so instead, now what happens is actually, if, if we just pull back the curtain a little bit, what we see is that creation rules over us instead of us ruling over creation. Now we're subject to death and to sickness and all of the hardships and difficulties. We've, there's been crazy droughts going on in the West Coast. Now they're calling, I was just looking at it this morning, they're calling for major flooding going on in the West Coast. This is all a sub, a kind of the creation groaning for its salvation. So with our fall came creation's fall. And so now physical death as well as spiritual death are a part of our story. But here's the deal. Creation really isn't the enemy. The enemy is the one who deceived Adam and Eve in the first place. The enemy is the one who wanted to come between God and humanity and ruin what God had set up for us and our destiny here on our planet. And, and so, so our, our enemy is, is that person who we call Satan, and all of those who are along with him who are trying to bring about the same kind of ruin or not for us in creation. And, and so to be really clear, this is in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, this is why Jesus came, the Son of Man came, to destroy the works of the devil. He came to save us, but that saving us is all a part of him casting down and destroying what our enemy started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And here's the deal. We were originally supposed to play a part in ruling over creation. God never abandoned his plan. We're still a part of what he wants to do. And so Jesus comes and he comes to destroy the works of the devil and restore us back to our place so that we can now engage in this spiritual conflict again. You guys okay? You with me? So now we're under, so those of us who are in Christ are under his power and his authority, and we're ready to engage back in this, in this battle. And so you and I, every person here, every single person here, from oldest to youngest, you are meant to play a role in a cosmic spiritual battle. You have a role to play in this spiritual conflict. Here's how the Apostle Paul explained this in Ephesians. He's talking about this warfare stuff. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. He says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I love how Paul goes right after the strength that we're supposed to have as believers. We're not weak. We're not just subject to what happens to us. He has given us these things. So finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against, sorry, my notes moved on me, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our battle, friends, is not primarily against what we see with our eyes. Our primary battle that we're engaged in is a spiritual battle against spiritual beings. So God's made us to be spiritual beings living in a spiritual world with an important role to play. And this prime, our primary battle is engaging in that spiritual battle with spiritual beings. Now, this is really, really important for us to get right because we can easily get distracted with all that's going on in the world 
and think that we have other enemies that we don't really have. What we'll do, and and friends, I think that this is like really important for us to hear right now. If ever there was a time to recognize that people are not the enemy. Your neighbor who votes differently than you, who has different habits than you, than different practices than you, who you don't like for any number of reasons is not the enemy. All right? The person who you don't like for whatever reason that gets on your nerves, the person in the church maybe who even bothers you or whatever, that person is not your enemy. People are not the problem. People are objects of God's affection. People are not the problem. People are objects of God's affection. This whole thing is about a battle over people. Really? Do you realize that? Like you're caught in a cosmic battle and so is your neighbor. So is your family member. So is everyone around you. They're not the problem. The problem is there's spiritual forces that are going on that we can't see that are influencing what's going on in that person's life or maybe my life or maybe someone else's life that I have. No matter how much you think about it, people are not the enemy. These spiritual beings are our true enemy. Our enemy, as Paul said, are these spiritual forces that are influencing what's happening here on earth. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he writes this, has in mind kind of a macro-level spiritual battle. So think about the spiritual influence that's happening at the, the level of nations. So there are demonic spiritual forces that are influencing what's happening in nations, uh, so you think about something like uh, World War II and the Holocaust, it's so overtly clear that there are, these are demonic forces there. But even kind of at, at like more of a medium uh, kind of scale, in our own church, uh, in, our, in where we live in Wakanda, we had um, three massage parlors uh, that were set up, and there was very clearly uh, illegal activity, I'm being delicate in how I talk about this right now, that was going on out of these massage parlors. It was a clear spiritual stronghold. For there to be that many places in a town of under 14,000 is wild. And so there was a clear spiritual stronghold that, that was going on there. That we know that there was both trafficking and prostitution happening there. And so we know that there was a spiritual stronghold. I'm here to say today that they're all shut down. That's awesome, right? That's the, like, praise the Lord for that. That sounds so good. So, so there's macro-level spiritual battles going on, but then there's micro-level spiritual battles going on. The everyday stuff that's happening in your life that affects uh, the people that we know and affects us. You know, like, I, I, I truthfully, I don't know whether today was just my forgetfulness about my battery died and my keys, or whether, whether maybe there was really some negative spiritual influence trying to keep me distracted from getting here this morning. Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. So I think probably more times than we know, there's some negative, spiritual, demonic thing coming at us. More times we know, but not everything that happens is like, oh, a demon made me forget my keys. You see what I mean? Like, so we, so we got to have some kind of balance with this. But true, but, but it's very true that there is this spiritual battle going on all the time. So just recently, we, uh, we hired a new youth pastor a few weeks ago. And the first week that they moved into their house, they have a newborn baby. Uh, and, and so they're tired and they're, they've just been kind of just wrestling through what it looks like. They've only been married for a couple years. So they're newlyweds and a newborn and a new job. And they're really tired. And the first couple of days they moved into their new house, they were really struggling kind of uh, trying to get the baby to sleep. And, and they were really stressed. And there were a lot of weird things that kept happening. And at first they were just chalking it up to stress. But then they recognized that the baby was crying out in ways that like weren't normal. Like they, they, had been, they had been parents long enough to know that's not how our baby normally cries. 
And one day the dad went to go up into the room. Uh, Our youth pastor went to go up into the room and he just felt this evil presence. So he prayed and nothing happened. The next night he went back in, felt that evil presence again. And the next time he actually heard a whisper. And he's like, okay, this is not normal. And so he called me that day and we went, we prayed. And since that time that we prayed, they've never had any other experience and the baby's been sleeping just fine. Right? So there's very clear, this is like, seems like no big deal a lot of times, but this kind of stuff is happening. There was some demonic thing that was attacking them here. Um, by the way, we don't have time to go into all of this. It's not like we just have evil spiritual forces that we're fighting against, guys. We have allies called angels uh, on our side too, the host of heaven that fights for us and with us. And if we had time, we could go through lots of stories of how we're, we're not just alone in this battle, but we have these angelic forces that are fighting. I'll leave that for another day and another sermon. So, uh, but, that, but that clearly is the case uh, that, that we have some allies fighting with us alongside of us. Now, let's be honest. I think that most of us tend to focus, when we start talking about this topic, on the overt spiritual stuff, possession, oppression, kind of the weird spooky stuff, right? Uh, like, we, there, we, have a, we have a sense of kind of like, because it's not something we see all the time, it kind of gets our attention. It kind of wakes us up. So we, we, we like, maybe, maybe you don't, but, but I know a lot of people do it myself. Like, I, like, I'm really interested when I hear stories of ghosts or, or the devil or angels or whatever. That stuff is kind of exciting. It gets our attention. It's also the stuff that Jesus did, casting out demons, it was very common in Jesus' day to experience this kind of stuff. And it's very clear he expected his followers to do the same. When he sends his disciples out to go and to be his witnesses, he tells them that they should go and they should heal the sick, that they could cast out devils, and they should raise the dead. And Jesus isn't like qualifying that, oh, that's just for some super elite Christians. That's for every follower of Jesus, that we're supposed to do this kind of stuff too. So it's a part of what we're meant to do as followers of Jesus. And look, I like that stuff. I kind of... um I'm kind of the kind of person that likes to get, um, I like to know what my enemy is. And when I know what my enemy is, it just really fires me up. Like, you know, I've got like a little bit of Viking blood in me. Like, and so I'm just like, yeah, let's go. Like, I, I like to know what the fight is. And it fires me up when I know there's a clear kind of battle for me to head into. And so we, we do need to be aware of what our, our enemy's schemes are and the way that he's working. And, and we do need to be aware that these overt kind of spiritual expressions are happening around us and that they happen today more often than we know. Sometimes it's more overt in other countries and other places around the world. So and I, I've, I've had a chance to travel to Haiti, to India, to Amsterdam, and to Mexico. And in all these places, I saw a very clear, overt spiritual battle going on, an undeniable kind of spiritual battle. That kind of stuff is happening here, but it's also it's often happening under the surface in a way that we can't see it. The truth is, though, that it doesn't matter where you go or what time or place you're in, our enemy's primary battle tactic, the way he chooses to fight, is deception. That's our prim- the enemy's primary battle tactic. It's not oppression. It's not possession. It's not like haunting houses and moving objects around. All again, those things certainly do happen. Uh, and it happens more than we know. But his standard mode, our enemy's standard mode of operation, is lying and deceiving. If you go back to the garden, 
When Adam and Eve are there in the garden, they're living before God without any shame before one another. Think about what the serpent does in that instance. He doesn't possess her. He doesn't oppress her. He doesn't move things around. I mean, he does talk. It's a talking snake. That's a little weird, right? (laughs) But what does the talking snake do? He plants seeds of doubt through deception. Did God really say? That's what he asks, right? Planting these seeds about what God really said. You won't really die. That's kind of what he says to her. God doesn't want you to be like him. That's the whole reason why he doesn't want you to eat of the fruit of this tree. That's what the serpent tells you. See, his battle tactic right from the beginning was deception. To cause so these seeds of doubt in our life. And if those things can come up and they can be deceived, then he's got a foothold or a stronghold as we'll see. And then think about Jesus when he spends his 40 days in the wilderness being tested or tempted by the devil. What, is that, what does our enemy do? He comes and he brings the word of God, but he twists it just a little bit. He puts a slight little spin on something that's true in order to get Jesus to somehow doubt his identity, to get Jesus to operate outside of his design and his father's will. He plants these seeds of deception. He tries to get Jesus to be deceived. And so it really shouldn't be that surprising to us because if you think about kind of any kind of warfare or any game that we play, deception is a key factor in winning. So if you study all, any sort of like warfare and how people like do battles, deception is always a key. We, we make the enemy think we're doing one thing and we're actually doing this. Like, so my, my wife and I, we were, we were playing a game. It's kind of like checkers while we were on vacation. I'm intentionally trying to, to get her to do something. I'm trying to deceive her into making a move so that I can capture her thing. You know what I mean? Like this is just, it's commonplace. So it's no surprise that our enemy would use that as a battle tactic against us. Guys, I want you to hear this. The devil and his demons don't have any original material. Like they, the, the, the demonic world doesn't have the ability to create, only destroy. So there are no new battle tactics. It's all the same stuff. It's all deception with a, in a different can. It's the same stuff with a different label on it. It's all kind of the same deception. And so he, what, he'd gone, what he does is he tries to come with against the truth with lies to establish strongholds of deception, lies that look like truth, lies that take up residence in individuals or in society that keep people, keep people just like Adam and Eve, in hiding and in shame, bound up, confused about what good and evil actually is. So the Apostle Paul paints this picture about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Here's what he says. For though we live in the world, we, don't, we do not wage war as the world does. For the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is an image from Roman warfare. So this is, this is what, uh, this is, Paul is painting this picture. 
based off of what would typically, what the, what the world he's writing to would know. This is how Romans fight their battle. And I think we might have a couple images for you on the screen. So this is actually a larger city, and you can see the wall that goes around the city, but this would happen at a big scale around, I think this is Corinth here, um, uh, but th- there would be this, that would happen around big cities, but it also happen in smaller scales in smaller places. And they would build these big, tall walls, usually around a hill, to keep invading forces out. And do you have one more slide there? There's another one. And then they would erect these kinds of tall towers. So the walls were meant to keep the enemies out. And these tall towers were there so that they could, like, shoot arrows or throw things down at the enemy so they could have more of an offensive attack as the enemy was coming forward. And what the Apostle Paul is doing is using this imagery that would have been familiar to everybody to say, this is how the devil works. He builds these walls, and he builds these towers of lies, and what this is meant to do is create a stronghold in our life. And what what a stronghold is, is a strategic battle point, because what they're trying to do in building a stronghold in the military is trying to say, we don't want you to take this area because this is strategic to our battle plan. Like, we, you can't, our resources are here, so we don't want you to do it. So they build these strongholds like this so that you can't take their territory. It protects things that they really value. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, look, the lies, those are that the enemy sows, that's the arguments, those function like walls around us. And those lies function, function like these pretensions, these ideas that exalt themselves in our life. And the more we believe those lies, what happens for, for us is it becomes like a stronghold in our life where it's a deeply held belief, a, a thing that happens in our life that we can't actually get rid of. We, don't, we may not even be aware that we're thinking this thought because what has happened is through deception, the enemy has so walled us in. And his point in doing so is to keep us bound in and captive and keep God out. That's the point of the strongholds. How do we know that? It's interesting the way that that Paul talks about this is that the knowledge of God is advancing against these strongholds. So the knowledge of God is on offense. What God is wanting to do is make himself known to you, to your neighbors, to your families, to your friends. The gospel, the knowledge of who God is, is wanting to advance, and the enemy does not want that to happen. He does not want that to happen. So what he tries to do is build these these walls around us, get us to believe these little lies that don't seem significant that all of a sudden become this major stronghold in our life so that the knowledge of God can't break in. Because here's what happens. If you are on the inside and you're caught in that trap, you're caught in deception. You're in slavery. You're believing all kinds of terrible things that aren't true. Our enemy doesn't want that. He wants us deceived in every possible way. He wants us to be deceived about our value and our worth in God's eyes. He wants us to be deceived about our identity. He wants us to be deceived about what good and evil are. He wants us to be deceived about scarcity versus the abundance of God. He wants us to be deceived about we've got to work hard and it all depends on you to make it happen. He wants us to be deceived about about how we trust God with our resources and our finances and our children or our health. He wants us to be deceived about all the things because as long as we're living in that deception, as long as we have these kinds of strongholds operating in our life, we're not functioning the way that we're meant to function. We're being bound up. And so the Apostle Paul says, this is the fight that you are meant to engage in. 
And the good news is that we have been given weapons, which Paul says are strong and mighty. They are mighty to demolish. I love that word, demolish these strongholds. Like, it's not like we don't have anything in our, in our ability, in our arsenal to come against these lies and the deception. Actually, the weapons, he says, we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They have this divine power to come against these strongholds. God has not left us defenseless in this battle. Actually, if we are in Christ, we've been restored back to be able to fight with him. We've been given back the authority that we had initially because Jesus on his cross and his death and his resurrection said, all right, now let's go after it. Let's go back and take the territory that is ours. It's as if the enemy has claimed territory in society and in our lives that he was never meant to have. And so what we're meant to do is go and take it back, not by winning political arguments, not by necessarily uh, winning over everyone with all the things that we think, but by going after these spiritual strongholds, pulling down the arguments and the pretensions, the things that are walled us in. And so the weapons, if we had time, we could talk about the armor of God, but the weapon that Paul really talks about here, and I think that we would see over and again, our primary weapon is the truth. Specifically, the truth of the word of God. That is our primary weapon that we fight this battle with. This is what Jesus uses. When the devil comes and tries to twist the word of God, what does Jesus do? He just gives it right back to him. Here's what's true. Here's what's true. Here's what I know the, here's what I know my father thinks, and here's what I know my father says, so let me give it right back to you. Isn't that interesting? You know, it's, even when Jesus is casting out demons and doing all these kinds of things, it's like I, there's tons of prayer, and he even says in one instance that these things only come out, these demons, by prayer and fasting. But when he actually engages in the battle, he uses his words. And for Jesus, the words that are coming out of his mouth are the very words of God, right? So when we engage in these spiritual battles, sometimes we think we need these, like, we have to have special tools. No, you don't. You have the word of God, which is living and active, which is sharper than two, any two-edged sword. It, it has the ability to divide between bone and marrow. Like, this is the weapon that God's given you, his very word. And so what we do is we take these deceptive thoughts and lies captive like Paul says, by the truth of the word of God. When we face any spiritual battle, when we know, hey, I think that there might be something going on here. Like, yes, we pray. Yes, we fast. But when it actually comes time to enter into the fight, it's taking the word of God and using the word of God to proclaim what's true. So knowing what does God's word say about this is actually key. <laughs> right? It's one thing to know that you have a weapon, and it's another thing to know how to use the weapon. So if I could do a little, a little plug for some Bible memorization, that is one of the best tools you will have in your arsenal of spiritual warfare. I find myself, the, the longer I walk with the Lord, the less I pray my own thoughts and prayers, and the more I find myself praying the word of God. Like, I, I don't even know it. It's just like coming out. Like, well, that comes from a lifetime of like trying to invest there. And I still have so much more to learn. I love to be around people who really know how to pray the word of God. I'm like, well, that's awesome. You know, like, we've got to know how to do this. So we ask, what does God's word say? First of all, when we find ourselves kind of uh, recognizing these lies and the deception of the enemy, we have to remind ourselves of what is true. God, what do you say about me? 
And we don't just necessarily just wait for a word, although you guys, I, I know you do that. And, and we, we love prophecy around our church. We love that kind of stuff. But, but I want to know, what has God's word already said about who I am? Well, his word already says when I'm worried about money that I have been given every spiritual blessing in heaven. He said that I don't need to, I don't need to worry. My father in heaven knows what I'm going to ask before I even ask for it. So I know before I come to prayer, I already know what God has said about the matter. Do you see what I mean? So I need to remind myself when I feel like the deception of the enemy is coming of what God's word says is true. Secondly, we need to, when we're engaged in battle for other people, we need to declare the truth of God over other people. So I know this person is walking in some deception in their life. How can I pray the word of God over them? How can I declare the word of God over this person? And then, then the last thing is like, we've got to, we've actually have to declare the word to the enemy sometimes and say, this is what God said, right? right? When we know that the enemy is coming against us, when we know there is a, a deception that he's trying to lay in our lives and the lives of someone else, uh, here's what God's word said. So when I went to go pray at our youth pastor, Daniel's house, I prayed and prepared myself to go into spiritual warfare, but really all I did was pray the word of God in the baby's bedroom. And immediately there was peace and calm. We had a, a friend uh, who, who had a really, really rough battle with COVID. He was in the hospital for 75 days, 2% chance of living. Uh, uh, I mean, it was really, really rough. We declared the word of God over his life for months. He is today healthy and walking and whole. I know that that's not the case for every single person, but it is the weapon that we have to fight this battle. Yes, we ask for God's healing. Yes, we do those things, but we declare the word of God against our enemy. So today, what thoughts are going around in your mind? As Paul says, we need to take out these thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. So what thoughts are in your mind or in your heart? What, what are the things that you're believing about yourself, the, the lies that the enemy has planted in your life? Or maybe a lie that he's planted in you about your children or about your neighbor or about your church. You might not necessarily be able to identify a stronghold, but you know what your thoughts are that you shouldn't be having. <laughs> that, that seem like this is just, this is not what God wants me to be thinking. Well, Paul says we need to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Well, how do we do that? We declare the word of God over them. I know that this isn't true. I know that this is, I know what God says here. And so I know we need to take that thought captive. So what's the truth? I want to invite Molly to, to just come. And we're just going to spend the next few minutes, I think, just kind of thinking and pressing into this specific area. Why don't we stand up, guys? All right, Jeff's um, just going to join us here with some ministry to spend listening into God's heart here. So, go for it. So, actually, I feel like I have an interpretation for the word about the left ear. Is anybody, by the way, healed in their left ear? I mean, that's okay if you were. <laughs> cool. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, I, I feel like the left ear is symbolic of something particular. Uh, for whatever reason, this week I spent some time thinking about what it meant to be seated at the right hand of the Father. If you're seated at the right hand of the Father, who's in your left ear? That's who should be in your left ear. I feel like what the word is about is 
It's fine to listen to other people. But no one should stand between us and the Father, except for Jesus. And I feel like there's some of us who've been listening to other voices that they're good people, they're, you know, important to us, but they're not the Father. And we never let them get between us and the voice of the Father. Thank you, Lord, that you have the truth and you have it personally for each one of us that you have um, hope and you have faith and promise and all good things for us. We accept those and we accept your voice. Yes, Lord, give us discernment, give us wisdom where we have uh, sort of given up our own right to hear directly from the Father, where we've relied on others to be your voice for us. The way's open. Jesus opened the way for all of us. We take it. We're in there. And we want to hear the Father directly for each of us. Give us wisdom and set us free, Lord. Set us free. Wherever there's been any kind of bondage that it seems harmless enough, any kind of bondage that puts somebody between us and the Father, we say, let it be gone right now in the name of Jesus.